everyone. This is Charlie Levine, and you are listening to the Angler's Journal Podcast, brought to you by Angler's Journal Magazine. If you're looking for a different fishing magazine that isn't just full of the same old, same old stuff that actually writes some in-depth stories about the people and places and boats and all the cool stuff that makes fishing great, check out anglersjournal.com and pick up a subscription. On any boat, you need lighting that is engineered for corrosion resistance, ease of installation, and practical functionality combined with proven LED electrical design, efficient optics, thermal management, and robust electronic components. IMTRA understands the core characteristics of high-quality marine lighting. They offer thousands of light fixtures from the world's best manufacturers. IMTRA is truly the best source for marine lights. To learn more, visit IMTRA, that's I M. TRA.com. Hey everyone, this is Charlie Levine, editor of uh, Angler's Journal Magazine. And today I have one of our contributing photographers on here to talk all about how she's built a career in photography and some secrets of the trade and her background. So without further ado, Jessica Haydal Richardson, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. And it's actually good to see you in person because I've actually never seen you in person before. So it's good to put a face to the name. <laughs> Wait, no, there was a time in Costa really? Rica. Yes. Yes. It was like a woman's, uh, it was an all woman's fishing team put on by Costa. And I was down was 20, there. Oh God. I don't know. 2017. 2017 is when that was. Okay. So I take that back. But I mean, that was a long time ago. Yeah. There's been a, <laughs> there's been a lot of water since uh, then and now gone under the, yeah. under the keel, so to speak. But yeah, it's really cool to see you. I'm digging your photo studio. I see a, a angler's journal cover there uh, over to your side. It's really cool. And a lot of other great magazines. Um, so I thought it would be neat for our listeners, you know, angler's journal, we get a lot of compliments on the photography that we run and we wouldn't be able to do it without people like yourself. So I thought it'd be cool for the readers to get to know you a little bit and uh, hear your story. So I know you grew up in BC, right? Are you originally from Vancouver? Yeah, I'm a Canadian here in America and uh, America, uh, living specifically in Montana, but I'm from Vancouver, British Columbia, born, raised, never thought I would leave, love being Canadian, love, love Vancouver and the ocean. And, um, you know, it's, it's an incredible place. If you've never visited, highly recommend it. Um, but yeah, everything started in, in Vancouver for me. I've uh, been That's living cool. in the U S now for about eight years. So, okay. So, I mean, it's such a seaside town where you did your family bow, or I always picture people like catching crab and salmon and doing all that stuff yeah. up there. Well, so actually, um, my father, he actually just passed. He was 90. So he's just a badass guy. And he lived an incredible life. My dad was a tugboat captain for close to 42, 43 years. Um, so he grew up, um, or sorry, I grew up with him running tugs um, wow. in, you know, Vancouver downtown proper um, in the, in the Harbor there. And then also he, he ran river tugs. He had about an 80 foot tug that he ran for a company called C-SPAN. It's an American owned company actually now. Um, so I grew up on the ocean. I grew up boating. I grew up fishing, um, kayaking, you know, wakeboarding in the middle of the ocean. Um, which now I think would terrify me because of <laughs> thinking about, I was not worried about sharks up there in Vancouver, but those darn seals and otters will pop up anywhere. Um, 
And so, yeah, I lived a very nautical kind of childhood and never thought I would lived in a landlocked state of Montana. But um, we have beautiful mountains here. So I'm kind of substituting sure. ocean for mountains. Um, but my whole childhood, I, I actually used to be a, a whale watching tour guide. I have my captain's license. I worked at a marina and a gas dock. I mean, pretty much my entire youth. Um, somehow we were boating or doing nautical things. So. Wow, that's cool. And I, I'm really sorry to hear that about your dad. I saw some pictures you posted of him. You know, you're you're so good at taking portraits. And those were really, really cool photos. My, Thank my you. Yeah. And, you know, I'm just we'll celebrate him forever. And he was just sure he's awesome. He really, really was. Uh, he's the saltiest man alive. He's a Norwegian <laughs> and thick Norwegian accent. And um, so photographing him was always fun and actually made a short film about him. That's on YouTube. Just him talking about his ocean, um, you know, tugboating marine experiences. And he saved a couple lives and shipwrecks. And no uh, so, yeah, I'll, I'll always celebrate him. So. I'm lucky. Very, very cool. And so is that where you kind of got into photography was just all the landscapes and wildlife and stuff you were surrounded by? Yeah, a little bit. Um, it was a little bit of that. And also, um, I also had a great surrogate family, I will say, you know, I had my, my parents are incredible and amazing, but my best friend growing up, I actually was just at his wedding in the San Juan islands. Um, I grew up boating with his family a lot. They had a, I think they started off with a 42 foot boat and then made their way up to, you know, like a 65 foot boat kind of thing. Um, and so every summer for at least a week or two, I would jump in with them. And just to let you know, like I had an amazing family. I wasn't needing to like escape anything or anything like that. Um, someone just recently told me it made it sound like I was an orphan. I'm like, oh God, no. Um, so anyways, I would spend my summers boating with them as well. And um, we would just see so many neat things in the San Juan Islands off of Washington State. Um, a lot of people actually don't know that you own these beautiful islands uh, here in America. They're incredible and they're gorgeous. And um yeah, I would just basically try to document our trips. And my mom gave me her old 1979 uh, Minolta camera, which is actually on the rack behind me here. And uh, I started um, shooting with that film camera and never looked back. Uh, it, I took awful photos for, for years on these trips and my parents paid for me to develop it. And then by the time I got to high school, I had a chance to actually learn photography and then everything changed right there. But it was, yeah, all these, these trips and boating around different parts of British Columbia and uh, the U S that I decided, well, I think I need to bring a camera. Yeah, <laughs> so, sure. Well, and, yeah. and to learn on film, I think is probably beneficial. You know, I mean, I can recall, I've been working in magazines for 20 years and we would always go through slides. We would prefer people to send us slides uh, for submissions. It was a little touch and go with FedEx going back and forth and you never wanted to lose anybody's slides, but it really gave you, I think an eye, a different kind of eye than people may have today, right? With everything digital. Yeah, and honestly, like I'm, I'm not going to pre like I sh still shoot film, and actually, I've been posting a lot of film on my social That's media cool. lately. I have just decided this year, um, a lot of my work I'm not allowed to share, unfortunately. You and I've had this discussion before, where I've sent you some samples, and I'm like, this would be an amazing story if I was allowed to do anything with it. Um, it's always interesting to me because I do see a lot of photographers in this industry and I don't know if it's something they've worked out with companies, but they do share a lot of their work. I have it worked out that I don't share unless they have shared or it's something where the campaigns already rolled through. Like a lot of this stuff I shoot is non-disclosure stuff. 
So um, this year I just decided why not shoot film? Why not? Um, I own over 47 film cameras. I've collected them for years. Most of them work, some of them don't. And I was like, why not take a film camera on every commercial shoot I do this year? And when I have time, when I'm not doing like specific work for the client or we have a moment, I'll just snap a couple frames on film. And it's turned into a, an expensive project. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> it has not been cheap, but B, it's been um, so rewarding and fulfilling. And um, I don't want to say I'm bored with digital because I mean, it's my job, but because it's my job, I, I don't find myself wanting to pick up my professional cameras when I'm home, but I still want to document because that's what I've always done. So I'm not going to preach that learning on film is the only way to do it. I think that once I got a digital camera in 2005 is when I actually got my first digital camera, uh, consumer based, I think a Nikon D200. And when I got that camera, I would say the learning curve accelerated. Um, you can't, um, you have to practice to get composition or you naturally can see it. I think like there's two forms. You're either like innately good at seeing images, which I think, I think that's where I fall in that category. Like it's just, I'm, I'm artsy and I just see things differently and strangely my, dex my dyslexic brain's like <laughs> flips everything. But I also think you can train your eye and train yourself and work really hard and work at seeing things. And so I think film taught me the basics of like how to photograph a perfect exposure on film, uh, how to get it as best as you can in camera before you have to change it. And it's weird because I know that a lot of people today, a lot of younger people today, they'll say, well, we can just crop it. It's 45 megapixels. I'll just crop it in or crop it in post. It's just a different way of thinking. It's not my way of thinking. Very rarely do I think, okay, actually I can just fix that later. I was trained very traditionally in photography. And um, I think that translates into how I shoot today. I try to get it perfect when I'm shooting it. Yeah. And that's over you know, 20 years, 25 years of shooting. Um, almost professionally. So, yeah, well, I got a lot of respect for you there. And, and I think you, you're so right. It's like, you can't really composition is something. It doesn't matter what camera you have, you have to have that vision and, and you're so good at it. Um, and I think it's almost like, you know, we've seen this resurgence with vinyl and music and like I've dusted off all my old CDs and I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just part of getting older. It's like nostalgic and fun, but it sounds better. Like if you yeah, digital music as opposed to real, you know, full spectrum vinyl, it sounds different. So I can kind of see, I don't know if that's a good analogy or not. Well, but I think so. But I think the difference with film right now and probably with vinyl actually is there's this resurgence of really young people as much as I despise TikTok at times. Um, and I think it's a real waste of our time. There's a lot of people doing a lot of creative stuff on it. That's pretty incredible. A lot of young people being super creative. And, and I think that those kind of platforms have actually accelerated um, younger generations to pick up film cameras. Uh, I think it's really interesting. The, the place that I'm using right now, it's a dark room out of California. They're so smart. They send me a, a prepaid shipping label. I throw my film in it. I have an app on my phone. I can quickly fill it out. And then the prepaid shipping label, I just close it up, drop it in my mailbox on my street. So I live in a rural area. So we can just pop the little flag up. 
<laughs> and they'll pick up my film. And from the day that it gets picked up to the day I have it scanned and the day that my negatives are back to me, it's six days, maybe five days. Sometimes wow. it's shocking. And so I think there's that, there's that beautiful tactile feeling you get from some of these perfect cameras like i have an, a leica m3 that's from 1964 and i'm i feel honored to own it was my friend's grandfather's and i bought it off their family estate and i'm taking this thing on adventures around the world now and um nothing feels like that there is no camera that i've ever picked up that when you click that shutter it's not just you've captured the image but you have full satisfaction from using a mechanical thing and mm -hmm. so now the barrier to getting those images back, because you have these younger kids shooting film, so they still kind of need that quick instant <laughs> that quick gratification, feedback. right? Exactly. They still need that, which I understand. That's now kind of just innately burned into their brain due to social media. So I actually find it to be amazing. Um, so, anyways, not to like linger on film so much, but I've been um, starting to give away some of my film cameras to younger students that I meet through, you know, friends, um, parents, and stuff like that. That's um cool. i i have a couple like really stock film cameras that i've picked up at thrift stores no point in them sitting all here on my shelf when there's lots of young kids who are showing interest so i gave one away the other day and i just told the girl um i gave her some expired film and i gave her a bag and a, and a new strap because i have like endless amounts of photo bags and stuff and i said if my, my rule is if you don't want to use it you either gift it to somebody else or bring it back here and i'll find someone else to to take it but enjoy and yeah, i give her all really the information cool. pass it yeah, on and she was so excited because everybody in school has one and maybe it's the latest trend but i need these younger generations to be interested in it it's for film to stick around yeah for manufacturers to see the reason in making it you know that is so cool that is so cool and when you were talking there so you mentioned how a lot of the stuff you shoot, you can't share. And it's because, you know, you're, you shoot two ways. You either take editorial assignments or you take like commercial assignments, right? Where you're shooting products or things out there in the wild. Um, and I think that's changed a lot over the years. I know, unfortunately, the editorial side just doesn't pay like the commercial side does. So, you know, what is the, what is the difference there? And, and, kind of walk us through what like a typical photo shoot would be like yeah so i mean i'll be honest if i could be a self-made millionaire <laughs> i would actually just shoot for magazines i would just call you up i would say where do you want me to go i'll pay my way and i would just go there and shoot the editorial side to me is kind of what was my dream in photography school and out of photography school shooting for newspapers shooting for magazines that's all i wanted to do um, I would say at the time that market was just starting to just go downhill in terms of the newspapers, not so much the magazines, because I think, yes, magazines definitely fight for their existence. And I appreciate that. But I think there's other ways that people are are viewing these magazines now, too, with, with an app or online and stuff. But in terms of newspapers, we started to see newspapers fall pretty significantly back in, you know, the early 2000s and such. So. I actually consider myself to be more of an editorial based photographer. I shoot my, my style is editorial. I try to capture the day. I try to capture the story. And it's funny because some um, companies I've shot for or shoot for are very uh, product based and they just want details of products 
And that is what gets them traction on social media and stuff. And majority of my work, so I, I am now considered a commercial photographer. Um, I would say I'm a commercial photographer in the outdoor industry, specializing in the fishing industry. I have been a many photographers over my career. I have shot NHL. I have shot um, weddings. I have shot real estate. Um, I have shot so many things across the board. And I think that's what helps me be able to adapt and shoot differently for different clients. I think that's really important because, again, I don't want to just base this on young kids, but the majority of people that reach out to me want to know how they can get a start in the industry. And none of them have put their time in yet to see what kind of a photographer they're going to be. I don't think you need to necessarily struggle anymore. I'm not going to say, oh, you have to trudge through the mud like I had to and like deal with all, unfortunately, like kind of the old boys club that I dealt with in the newspapers and the NHL and stuff. I was the only girl in there with like 50 to 60 year old men um, who were not friendly, who were not nice, who didn't want to help me or anything like that. So but what I'm trying to say is just, I think there's value for experience and time. And so, you know, that's how I market myself to clients is I am going to shoot it the way that I know how to shoot it. And you can either use those images or not. And then you can give me a shot list with specifics mm -hmm. uh, and then we'll roll off that. And we'll, but I'll keep shooting it the way I know how to shoot it. And so um, usually for you, so at Angler's Journal, if I know I have a really cool shoot coming up, or if I know that we just did a really cool thing, yeah. um, and we photographed something that was pretty different, and we had incredible light and weather, and there was a story behind it, and there's been many times, you know, with you or, or Will before, or B Bill, William, um, where I've just reached out and said, hey, this happened, it was pretty cool, um, you know, I'm not the best writer. Could we find a writer for it? And here are the images. They can tell a story. And I feel like there's a story behind this. We love and when so you I'm, do that. <laughs> there's been I a lot of it. good I, stories from you like that. And I love having you guys there to give me that outlet. Because again, like that's my passion. Um, yeah. The fact that you could walk into like an airport, pick up an image that I have shot and hold it in your hand. That to me is the coolest thing. I'm still a dork. I'll go and like pick up an image if I have a cover and I'll like go through the cash register and like, it's my picture. <laughs> <laughs> I just get so excited about it. And I hope that never wears off and I don't think it should. And, you know, there's a lot of repetitive nature behind it. And that is why I really try to make sure that I do things that bring me joy as well. So that would be editor editorial based stuff. And there's honestly not a lot of platforms for me where I can do what I do with you guys and pitch something. Um, it's far and few between now I'm finding in say, the conventional side of the industry, a lot of it's call outs. They send a call out sheet, we, this month we need this, this, and this. Yeah. And I'll go through my stock and see, but you know, after a certain And we do decade, that too, but. Yeah, and after a certain decade though, you start to like run out of stock a little bit. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, and, I, and then I always have to yeah, that sorry. differentiating though, like what you're talking about. That's something we always try to do too, because you know, I've been working in, on fishing magazines a long time, and you start to sort of like you're saying, get it's repetitive. It's like, oh, we're gonna run another Ballyhoo story or another Striper, you know. And so it's great to have contributors and relationships, and to get that call, like, oh, Charlie, we met this 
guy who fishes for muskie on these little rivers in Kentucky. And then you send us the photos. It's like, oh, my God. Yeah, these are great. And we kind of re-engineer it to make it a, a, a package. And a lot of the time I have to go off the basis of the guy who's taken us out. So, you know, that situation, Jason, lovely man, lovely individual, so passionate about his personal home fishery. But it was interesting because we shot it and I shot it the way I would shoot everything. And he said to me multiple times, I don't think you understand. We don't get to shoot musky like this. We're never boat to boat in a slough. He's like, this is different. And so right away, when he said to me, this is different, I turned to my Shimano rep and I'm like, what do you think? <sighs> you think, you, you know, this is a product that's been out on the market for a few years. It's not a non-disclosure. You know, we don't have to not show it right away. What do you think about me pitching it? And then most of the time, you know, specifically with my relationship with Shimano G Loomis, um, they have been lovely about it. You know, well, just sure, saying, it's good for them, too. They like to see their stuff in the magazine, too. Absolutely. And I have a very personal relation, even though it's a big company, the people that I specifically work with there have a really great relationship with, and they're my champions. Um, and I appreciate that. It, it is wonderful to work for people who really appreciate your work. Mm. Um, you know, I'm very hard on myself when it comes to my shoots and how the images look. And then, you know, so I'll send in a, a, a shoot and I'll be like, oh, just, think we got it but we had you know this and this and i mean everything that could go wrong with weather or or maybe we caught everything on the wrong rod because we just didn't have enough on the boat and most of the time the response back is like stop it yeah (laughs) you nailed it it. you did great it's great stop it and i think that's just part of being an artist you could be an artist for your entire life and i am very confident about a product i'm going to give a client um but it is still very innately in my nature as an artist to always be like second guessing or doubting yourself. That just doesn't go away. I think if it goes away, then maybe you're just a really cocky person. <laughs> well, it's which funny. I'm not. You and I are alike there because I feel the same way. It's like hard to f- stop editing a story. At some point, you just have to be like, okay, it's done. Stop. Just stop. Yeah, absolutely. It is. This is good. This is good. This is going to be good enough. This is going to be great. And yeah. it's time to submit it. So, yeah, it is what it is. (laughs) I will say, though, it seems to me just like following you on Instagram and seeing where you're going and what you're shooting, that these relationships with companies like Shimano and the other ones you work for, you've gotten to shoot so many different kinds of fish and fisheries and places. Like when I first started working with you, you had spent some time in Panama, right? You had a lot of really good offshore stuff. And now now you have like everything. Well, it's, it's crazy. So, um, originally I shot salmon fishing in British Columbia. Then that salmon lodge opened up a Panama lodge and they had like a mothership operation and they tried to make that work for a few years and they ended up having to close that down. But I got sent down to Panama. I've never seen a Marlin before. I had never done any kind of fishing outside of salmon fishing in British Columbia and halibut, you know, or rock cod, um, very different kind of fishing. So I got sent south and um, crazy enough, my husband, he, um, his name's uh, Wade Richardson, Captain Wade Richardson. He ran a private Marlin fishing operation out of Panama for close to 15 years. And when I met him, he had a mothership, a 90 foot mothership, and then a, a 48 foot boat called the Hooker, which is quite a famous boat. 
And then yes. a 42 foot, yes. <laughs> Very famous boat. <laughs> yeah. Lots and he didn't of fish make on it famous. Boat. Yeah. Yeah. The Dunaway family made that famous and he just carried on the legacy. And um, there were 10 owners, 10 shares. And he fished around 200 and something days a year. They also have a 42 foot merit um, that just got a million dollar facelift and now is back in Panama. Um, it's actually being chartered uh, part time by Tropic Star. So if you hmm. are a condo, user down there uh the boats right now in at tropic star which is cool because i'm headed there in a few months i'm gonna go down and and head back to our stomping grounds but so anyways i spent close to five years once i met him his operation was anchored next stars (laughs) and so i met him out there and i shot five straight years with him um of marlin fishing and here's the thing is there are, you know, the Tropic Star photographers down there. I can't remember their names, but they're getting beautiful images right now yeah. of Marlin. Always. Here's There's the thing. Just so many fish caught. You sp- if you spend time in an environment and you're immersed in it, you're going to get great content. And it's your job just to keep shooting. And the, and, I, and I've, I've said this to a couple people. I said, I really hope they're realizing how lucky they are to be there to experience this right now. Because I don't think I completely grasp the fact that we were lightning in a bottle down there that we were i was truly able to capture stuff that you don't get regularly so you know i i now i'm grateful for it but now i'm like man why didn't i shoot more (laughs) and i shot every day you know every day we went out on the boat and some days i took off and stayed on the ship but um I had no idea that I was building a catalog for anything. I was a Canadian living in Canada. I could not work commercially in the US. I had no ties with magazines at the time. I was shooting weddings. I was shooting the outdoor industry and I was shooting for this private Canadian operation that would then take the images and contact content back to Canada. So that is how I built the Marlin catalog basically. And, and I was able to, you know, I'm still contributing some of those images around different magazines throughout, you know, the years. But um, yeah, it was, it was, you know, like my husband likes to say, lightning in a bottle. It was an incredible experience. Once we left there and we got married and I immigrated here to the US, I suddenly could pivot and say, okay, well, some of these people know me from this. Well, now I could shoot like product for them. And that's kind of how it, it flipped. Um, it flipped to the commercial side. But again, years and years of photography, shooting so many different things to allow you to be uh, super adaptive. And so right now with Shimano, my main contract, my main uh, employer is Shimano G Loomis. Um, And throughout the years, I've shot for many different rod and reel companies. But um, right now, it's funny, next week, I'm in Rhode Island shooting big bluefin tuna offshore. Fingers crossed. (laughs) I don't want to jinx us yet. But they they send me from bass fishing to um, squid. I did squid fishing at Rhode Island this year, which I thought was so cool because I had no clue that's how you can catch squid. Um, but a lot of time in the in the bass industry, fly fishing. I was up in Calgary um, shooting one of their pros up in Calgary. Um, but it could be across the entire board. I never know what 
what they're launching. I actually have no clue what they're launching and when they're launching it and what they're remaking. And if you look at the lineup for Shimano and G Loomis, like, I mean, it's probably like thousands of rods and reels over time. <laughs> so Tens I can't keep up with it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So I can't keep up with it. So I'm just basically, um, they develop the shoots, they send me the shot list and where we're going and we book it and we head out. So it's a four day shoot next week. Um, sometimes I have a representative from the company with um, there. Sometimes I don't. Um, and sometimes I have multiple anglers. Sometimes I just have one. And to be honest with you, it's been lovely. It's, um, it has been a few years with them being able to just concentrate on one company. And it's, I think my work has gotten better. I know exactly what they expect. And I also have that job security. I'm going to knock on wood. I don't want to ruin it. I have that job security with them right now that allows me to just concentrate on them. That's cool. And I think that's a pretty cool position. And not a lot of people get that position. So I'm grateful for it right now. And if it goes away, then I need to win the lottery so I can just shoot editorial. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there would be another client would swoop you up in a second. But I, I get that. You know, I used to work for a magazine that only covered Marlin. And it was like it was fun and you got to go to a lot of cool tropical places, but now working for Angler's journal where we cover everything, fresh salt, fly conventional, it's, it's a nice change of pace and it opens up so many doors and you meet more people. And I can imagine your passport or just your, your, uh, the mileage you get to, you know, your yeah, air they miles, don't stamp your passport really anymore. It's I know. very upsetting. I, I do miss that. That's true. <laughs> Some um, places do, but most of them don't. Imtra is a 100% employee-owned company committed to bringing best-in-class products, expert product knowledge, and unparalleled support to the entire marine industry throughout North America since 1952. Yeah, I think that um, just like being sent to shoot something that has a story behind it is, for me, more fulfilling. We definitely have shoots that it's literally like, hey, we need to go to launch. We have nothing. We're going to give you a day and a half. We're going to give you two days. Maybe we, this is just what we need. There's times where we do that and I get it. But when I get a call, um, like you guys just ran a, um, didn't you, was it this last issue, which was, or could have been the two your issues niece. before the picture of oh, your that niece? one. Yeah. My niece. Oh my gosh. I love she's, that picture. She's, awesome. she's looks so determined. That was in um, East Luma Harris. We um, last year the the peak of floor, the forty two foot merit. Which we um, did a story on that too. Yeah, yeah, and I mean that boat is. Uh, I hope you if you get go down to Tropic Star, if it's there, I hope you get to go. I was going to ask you if that was the merit you were talking about. So yes. for our listeners, um, Merit Boat Works, obviously a really really famous custom boat builder here in Florida, been at it for many years, and this boat that Jess is talking about. Um, I don't know what year it was launched, but it had been run it's by 16. a number of famous captains. What so was the, it? this, yeah, so this merit is called the Pika Floor. It's um, 1968, second hull in production. It was made by, I think, is it Bobby Merritt? I can't remember buddy, his buddy Merritt. Buddy, buddy. Okay, um, my father-in-law bought it after it had been renamed a few times. And it was in Panama. It's so that's the it, it personally owned by my father-in-law. It was in Panama for almost 20 years. And when the main operation, when we decided to close down the um, timeshare part of the hooker, which was the 48 foot GNS sport boat, um, 
we sold off the the hooker and it went north to Costa Rica. And then we sold off the Mamanito, which is the 90 foot mothership we lived on, which was also uh, my husband had renovated that and brought that through the Panama Canal. And that's what we lived on. And it wasn't like, let's be clear, it's not a yacht. It was a renovated oil field boat and it held all our water for made water. Uh, we made um, desalinized water and we made water for 40 something days. We held fuel for two sport boats plus the main boat, main ship and generators to be running 24 hours like a, a day. Barge. I mean, it was. <laughs> it's a basically a huge barge operation. I mean, we were fully self-sufficient and that was the cool thing. So towards the end of us running stuff down there, we actually got back in contact with Tropic Star and a lot of our clients would come in and stay at Tropic Star and we'd pick them up and then run out to the fishing grounds. So, uh, but the merit was always technically my father-in-law's in a private boat. Um, so once everything sold, it was time for the merit to go to go back to the US. It needed you just really can't get anything done very well in Panama. Think about it. Your shipyards are humid jungles. Um you have to go far up the river to these crazy jungle like when we did work on the mothership in the shipyard up there, I remember photographing it. I kind of documented it cuz it was really interesting. And I watched guys that work there, Panamanians, pouring pouring water on their welding machines to cool them down. <laughs> I was nice. like, I, it's a lot that's of electronic uh, components in there, but sure, let's pour water on it. So let's just, it, just to give you an idea, it's fairly, it, we don't have fancy lift systems. Yeah. They run you up in in low tides up onto to, to boards and, and then stuff. like, yeah, or like a, like a truck with um, a trailer, trailer behind it. Yeah, and then they like prop everything up. Well, wow. they ended up, you know, that, doing that some damage. That boat needed to go home. Back yeah, to so those she went really home. <laughs> yeah, she got loaded on a freighter in Costa Rica and took got taken up through the Panama Canal up to Pompano Beach to the Merritt Shipyard. And for three years, she sat there, um, my husband, and then the team there at the Merritt Shipyard for three years, took her all the way down to her bare bones and built her back up again. And... Um, she's pretty now i mean she's a lot right. lighter they took off a lot of rot a lot of wood i mean it's it the boat it was so heavily done with wood now there's actually more so i'm canadian and i say um composite or you say comp, comp composite now i get it all mixed up composite's i say the opposite good. of you okay. <laughs> <laughs> i say composite but uh, you're so saying boat of... like we say boat you're not saying it the canadian yeah, i know because <laughs> uh, it's because I'm now all I'm a confused Canadian here now with my with my if I just say the word mum or something. Um, so anyways, she's gorgeous. She's beautiful. She's down in uh, she got finished, went down to East Luma Harris, went all the way up to Jersey for a season as well. Cool. And um, now um, my husband had loaded her up um, on a, a freighter and going back down through the Panama Canal. She's in Panama and um being leased out, I guess, is the better term um, part time right now for this year, at least by Tropic Star. And um, it goes back to the city after a few trips and then it gets. But it, the cool thing is the whole old crew we had, the guys that worked for us for like 15 years who went back to work for Tropic Star after we closed our operation, they're running the boat again. So the guys know the program. They know the boat. You're not allowed to gaff off the back of the boat. We have some rules that are very specific to that boat you know no gaff marks you don't want to in the transom. It. yeah <laughs> okay. yeah no. and it's not a teak transom anymore it is actually uh, been painted faux, faux teak which is you could never tell it's no, amazing. the stuff they're doing with that is incredible 
it's incredible and it was done by the there's a lady in the in the merit shipyard who does it and it's like i stared at it i'm like what do you mean it's not teak and it's just to lighten the boat up i mean we made the tanks bigger so she could have more fuel in it and um anyways sorry sidetracked on that boat if you get a chance it's you you know we're not going to have it in our possession forever um but it is now it's one of a kind it's well, one it's of so a neat. kind i love those stories because i it's almost like a classic car but better and and you've managed to keep yeah. it going and she looks better than ever and now it's got all these modern systems and it's super fishy absolutely there's nothing more beautiful than like the prop wash behind a merit boat when you're trolling it's just like so clean and clear yeah, and they raise fish, and it's got a giant tuna door because that's what they were built for, and they're, they're just absolutely. Super cool. She swings, she swings when you back up. Uh, I have like video footage, so like the GNS, the the hooker is made to go better backwards yes, than that, forwards. As yeah, far that as boat I'm could go backwards like eighteen knots or something. You could just go backwards to back to port. <laughs> you know, <laughs> It'll, yeah, they and would plane. Yeah, backwards, and it's a very different experience. So, like, I am kind of jaded in terms of fighting a marlin on a, a you know a smaller than a 50 foot boat is going to be a much different experience than some of the bigger boats which all the companies now are making big boats let's be honest um and it's you know we're talking like 70 80 and up we're talking about like where everybody has to wear a mic to be able to communicate because it's so big i get that um but there is nothing you can't convince me even like fighting a marlin on a center console also is a totally different experience but as a photographer i had my thigh on the gunnel i worked one gunnel side i stayed on the side to go up and down that gunnel as we worked the fish and there is you can never convince me that backing down on a marlin on that 42 foot merit is not the most incredible thing uh, the way it swings, the way the chair would swing. Um, yeah, it's it's an incredible experience. And it's, if you ever get a chance to go marlin fishing, even, I mean, let's say Tropic Star and their Bertrams too. There's a reason why they've held on to them for so long is, I mean, you can't compare the Bertram and the, and the Merit. No, but it's <laughs> but another classic iconic feel. Yeah. It's a feel. And um, that's so cool. Sure makes fish look big too. And you've got some amazing photos down there and it's, it is a special place. And it sounds like maybe we could do an, another story because that there's gotta be some tales to tell. That's really cool that they've got the old team back together and um, that, yeah, that's gotta so, be pretty cool. Wait, my husband is, is, um, you know, no longer runs it full time. He runs a ranch up here and he's a volunteer paramedic up here as well. So his busy, his schedule is pretty busy, but he's flying down every few months to oil change it, check on it, do any maintenance and run it for a trip or two for Tropic Star, making sure all the bells and whistles are taken care of. Uh, he's worked too hard on this boat just to, to let it not get checked on. Sure. Uh, he does all, he's a diesel mechanic by trade originally. And so he knows he knows every hole of this boat every compartment he ran every wire because he's uh he could get through all the the little areas (laughs) you know um and it's very different it used to be cable steering uh now it's all electronic steering Mm. um you know the computer systems that are in it um the the, you know they don't have a front forward front facing sonar or anything like that but uh anyway so you don't need it down there no, no, but I had been, I'm had. i going to head down the end of November into the first week and a bit of December, which is actually a really beautiful time to fish in Panama on the reef. 
Um, and I'm so excited. So very cool. Well, I'm excited to see what yeah. you get for sure. Yeah, and it's for nobody, but it's for nobody. So that's the first <laughs> trip you. in a long time that I have stock imagery um or a story that could go anywhere because I'm not going down there for a brand. I'm going down there because, well, it's been a while and I thought everybody gets to go down and enjoy the boat. I'd like to go and enjoy it. So absolutely. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Well, not want to switch gears here back to yeah. just some of your career that I love all the Panama stuff and I could talk old boats forever, but um, yeah. I did want to ask you. So when you were talking about shooting uh, hockey, you mentioned how it was sort of this old, old dudes club. And I was curious if you ran into the same kind of thing in the fishing space when you started to get clients like Shimano or whoever else you've worked with. And if people are more welcoming to female professionals like yourself now. I mean, yes and no. So um, I find that some of the photographers that I've definitely dealt with in this industry have been kind of closed books. Um, I've always said throughout my entire career, I, I never wanted to do that to anybody. I think that there is so much value in sharing knowledge. I mean, why? what's the point in keeping it to yourself? Um, so in terms of the fishermen, yeah, when I first started, I remember one shoot in particular I did for Costa sunglasses years and years and years ago for bass. And I remember my representative there having to, and I kind of heard her in private, which is fine, um, telling the bass professionals, which I had no clue about the bass industry or anything like that, but her saying, she's really good. Don't worry. She will, I, I like, I trust her. And I remember sitting there, I'm like, man, am I having to prove myself to these guys? Like, can I just come and work? Like, I trust when I show up to a location, if you're a professional bass fisherman, that when I say cast a foot in front of my lens to the left, that you 100% should have no problem nailing that. Because you, this is what you do for a living. So I just, when I first started, maybe that wasn't shown to me as much, to be honest with you. It should be about the work and your work, you know, your work tells the story. Yeah. You're, you're, you're very talented and good at what you do and you can do it all. I mean, I've, I've, you've shot underwater, you've shot incredible portraits, landscapes. I did want to ask you about the underwater stuff too. Do you have a housing and jump in the water or how do you normally attack that? So, um, I do not get in the water anymore. Um, unless we are in like a pristine, clear, um, shark, non-shark area. Um, I actually don't get in the water with billfish. I actually, to be quite honest with you, I have, um, objections about that. I know that it is very popular through social media to get in the water and grab the bill of your fish and swim away with it. But like, first of all, the fish does not want you in there. Second of all, you're not helping the fish by grabbing it and swimming away with it. I mean, it's all... I don't know if I'm allowed to swear, but if I yes. am, it's, it's bullshit. What the hell are you doing? <laughs> Get out oh, of the damn water. I know there's photographers who do it, but if you truly care about the health and the safety of a billfish, A, you'll keep them in the water. B, you'll keep your boat moving in forward. Yeah. Get keep that, that water, water flowing. flowing. If you want to lean over the side of the boat, hold the bill, hold the dorsal fin, hold the fish upright, help him, her, get as much water flowing through it after a fight, cool it down to let that fish get going. Don't get in the water. I just, 
I can't be a part of it and I'm not going to be a part of it. It actually like infuriates me because I think it's 2023 and people still think that's okay. And they'll be like, Oh, what an amazing catch. This was awesome. And just don't do it. Yeah, no, I, I like, I know, I'm, I'm very I'm comfortable on the boat. <laughs> no, no. Ju Judge funny. Jessica here, you know, and a lot of the waters I get, I shoot in are actually like alligator infested. So yeah, I'm just not our snakes, like Florida. I'm just, I'm not getting in the water. So the way I look at it is there are some incredible photographers in our industry who dive, who free dive, who are great underwater photographers. And if that's the basis of what you're looking for, please hire them. They're great. That This is what they're, this is their, you don't need me floundering about an oil rig in Louisiana where there are like Makos. I, I don't, you don't need me in there. Um, but I have a housing, yes. I use the housing actually a ton. Um, a lot of the time, depending on what kind of boats we're on, it's just either boat to boat or leaning over the side of the boat as we do a release using the housing. Um, a lot of the water I'm in, unfortunately, is super cloudy and I'm very rarely in pristine water. Um, and like, or if we do like a flat shoot, then it's easy for me to jump out and, and, sh and, and shoot back up at the angler or a redfish being released. If it's like that kind of, um, flat style, um, water up to your knees kind of thing, you know, yeah, it's um, beautiful. It the stuff you get too. that sort of over under some up, yeah. some down, and you, you've gotten very, very good at it. So it's always on a shoot with me. My housing is always on a shoot with me. I have a couple different housings for a couple different environments. Um, it's always with me and I aim to use it where I can. Um, you know, like say next week when we go to Rhode Island, if we hook into a big bluefin, probably the time I use it is when I'm trying to just lean over the side of the boat and get an isolated shot of the fish coming up. But if I get all the way back to the to the stern and maybe I shoot upwards, it's a wide enough lens that a lot of the time I can capture the angler in it too. I just have to lean over, I have a leash on my wrist. Sometimes I ask someone to spot me so I don't go into the chuck. Um, and so I've just adapted to figure it out differently because you don't need me in the water with a 200 pound bluefin tuna coming up in an area that now has like a high shark ratio. <laughs> so, I'm with you, I'm with you. And they're like bleeding and stuff. And anyways, yeah. I know I have like some very judgmental views on this. I've just seen this as becoming a trend and I'm confused why we're allowing this as a society to be an okay thing when we know that billfish need very specific standards to to recover from from fights. If you're going to catch a fish and if you're going to, you know, tackle it and 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 sport fish it and then release it, that's great. But why not give it the best opportunity it can then to if you're going to harvest it, that's fine too. If you're allowed to harvest it, harvest it and just don't mess around with it. And that's, that's where I just, I draw the line at this point. I feel like I've been in the industry long enough that I'm okay to have a judgmental position on, you know, it's, I just think it's silly. So. Well, it's a perfect segue into what I, I I've been dying <laughs> to ask you about social media and, and you could be judgy Jessica all you want here, but <laughs> judgy Jessica, how do you think GoPros and the iPhone and Instagram and all that stuff has sort of changed the dynamic for photography? Because, you know, as a magazine, we get all these people submitting stuff and I'm all for it, but some of it, it's just, they're not real photographers. Curious what your yeah. take is. 
Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I'm not going to be too judgy. So first of all, I do like when I lecture people and do lectures like uh, this weekend, actually coming up, Nick Price, great photographer, him and I are running a workshop in Idaho. Um, I know I want to go. He was telling me about that. It sounds awesome. I know we have one spot available. We've been trying to push <laughs> it, but I leave, uh, I leave Friday. I'm going to drive over there Friday. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, so I will always say to people, yes, like the, the old cliche saying of the best, uh, you know, camera you have is the one, you know, either in your hand or you have the affordable or accessible to you. Basically, I do believe that I want people to not be turned away from photography. I want people to love it, get invested in it, document your trips, document your family trips, make photos for your wall. You know, I want people to love photography. But yeah, I mean, GoPros are incredible. Like we can't deny that they're not an incredible invention, but they have a look. And if that's a look you're looking for as a magazine, then great. But, uh, you know, GoPros don't show depth of field. They don't show any kind of 3D kind of look. They don't give you texture. Um, they all, you know, there's the GoPro look, which makes no hill look like a hill. It just makes it look flat. So, um, yeah, I've seen some some really cool photos on a GoPro. I think that if you have something incredible that happens in the water and you dunk that GoPro stick down and you happen to capture a still image of it and nobody ever in the industry has ever seen an image like that, then you know, it doesn't really matter at that point how you capture it. But um, I do think that, um, I don't know, so I guess you would know better how many people you have submitting kind of work that isn't from say a professional camera. I don't even know who would be doing that. But um, I think that documenting your trip first and foremost is the most important thing you can do. Um, but yeah, when it comes to submitting images to magazines, there's a lot more that goes into it, I think, than in imagery specifically, than um, something like a GoPro could give you, you know, um, as a photographer. Social? Yeah, social media. So as a photographer now, so I went to photography school and um, I, I, I could say I'm classically trained. Is that the better way, way to say it? Sounds um, nice. You know, I shot a four by five <laughs> camera for the first year. Like it was awful. Never shoot a four by five camera unless you love it and then do it. But I hated it. <laughs> um, so social media when I was finishing school was kind of not, not, not really a thing yet. And um, the way I look at it is suddenly I am being asked to kind of be more than just a photographer. Um, all our cameras have the capability to shoot what, like 8K raw now on that one camera I have. I don't even know what half that means. Um, but there are many times when I would say the value of my experience and the value of what I do isn't always enough now for a company. They need more value. They need video. They need drone. They need underwater. They need um, iPhone clips is a big one too because of the algorithm and how they can market better with an iPhone clip, like a video clip, than they can off a professional camera. It's a lot of hats you have to wear. And... Um, I always joke about the drone because I'm like, what, what do I have five arms? What else do you want me to do and capture the entire thing? But how can I do it all at once? So I think social media, unfortunately, has created the need for an, an insane amount of content. Here today, gone tomorrow content. Um, so when I go on a shoot and, and 
this is horrifying to some photographers to think about, but a four day shoot, I'll walk away with 10, 15,000 images that I have to call through and maybe I will deliver 2,500 to 3,000 images at times, maybe 1,500 to a client. That is heavy workload. But again, it's all um, the need for more, more, more. That's what I think social media has done. Now, do I think that there are some benefits to it? A hundred percent. I think that it allows creativity. It spurs creativity. Uh, in the lectures I give to students and stuff, I always say like, use social media to your benefit. Take photos or take screenshots of photos that you really like, save them in a photo or a folder on your iPhone. And in that folder, before you go off on a shoot, be inspired by it or jog your memory of something you wanna try. Or if you see a photo, go ahead and try retry that for yourself. It's not copying, just try it for yourself. Get, and that will hopefully lead you to be even more creative. So that's how I'm trying to use social media. Okay. Not in the negative hater way. Does that well, make sense? I, I like following your Instagram too. And it's, you know, it shows, I think the reason I like it is just to see all these cool places you're going. I get that you can't share a lot of stuff, but no, that's eye opening. And I, I super enjoyed talking with you and we got onto a lot of cool topics and, and I look forward to seeing more of your photos and, and thank you for loving magazines and thank you for making English journal look so good. And for all of our listeners out there, if you want to see some of Jess's work, you can pick up a copy of Angler's Journal or follow her on Instagram or check her out on her website or hire. Her. <laughs> or hire me. Yeah. No, I'm and I'm or give me a mess, shoot me a message. And I, I like to ask questions that I can and try to help out. And um and yeah, if you if you're not fed up with film on my Instagram yet, I'm not stopping and I'm not making a second Instagram account to put film photography on it. No, it's all in one. You're getting a mashup it. of what I do. <laughs> That's perfect. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jess. Thank you. Appreciate it. Whether you're looking for underwater lights, interior, exterior, cabin, or utility lights, Intra has it all. Offering lights from leading brands like BCM, Lumishore, Prebit, French, DHR, and even their own proprietary lights, Intra has a team of experts dedicated to sourcing the best products and helping you find the perfect lighting options for your boat. For more information, visit Intra, that's I-M-T-R-A dot com.